Hey, this is Matt Storm, husband and father first to three young, beautiful babies. And you are tuning in and listening to Relationships and Revenue with John Dealer. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. So excited to be with you again today. And as you heard from the introduction, I have Matt Storm with me. Matt, how are you? Oh, man, I'm fantastic. You? Oh, very, very well. Even better now that you're here. <laughs> well, we've gotten the chance to connect on a few times, and I have to say this is probably the one I've been most excited about to really do it one-on-one and, uh, and can't wait. So super excited. Yeah, me as well. Me as well. And I got to tell you, folks, first of all, of all the guests I've had on the show, Matt, you have the absolute coolest last name, without a doubt. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. It, it matches with your F6, uh, I think, uh, platforms. So I think that went right at hand in hand. Tornado and Storm, I think we can link those two together if you're good. Oh, no doubt about that. I definitely see some opportunities to collaborate in the future. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> All right, folks. For those of you who don't know who Matt is, Matt is the entrepreneur because he's got a lot going on. Now, Matt is a, he has multiple businesses. He has the Storm Trooper Productions uh, gifts with an edge that he does with his wife, Leanne, super, super nice lady, by the way. And he runs his storm classic show. And for those of you, when you check out, when Matt tells us at the end where you can connect with him, you'll understand why he has this storm classic show, because he is a retired bodybuilder. And trust me, when I tell you, dude is ripped, he looks it. So (laughs) maybe not like he was when he was doing shows three years ago, but still, oh my gosh, I mean, I could only imagine having that body. So, well done. But the two most important titles that Matt has, and he already said them, husband and dad. Yes, definitely. And you know, that takes the cake. I, I was learning a lot, you know, I'm 45 years old, John, and, and it was really interesting to hear a lot of people who talked, who were older than me, who had more wisdom and had more experience. You know, a lot of people said, you have to keep your priorities the priority. You have to major in the majors. And, and one of the things that I think that we do is we get caught on that hamster wheel where we start chasing things and think our career comes first because we're husbands and providers first and we have to be leaders. And that ends up basically letting us drop the ball on the most important things in life because we can have multiple careers at this point, but we don't want to have multiple families. And I think that we tend to end up running into that wall, realizing that when we stop that courting process with our wife, we stop that teaching with our kids because we think that we are the leader and sole provider. We're actually dropping our responsibilities and leaving them to someone or something. Well said. Well said. Okay, folks, we can just stop right now. <laughs> he did it. He covered it. <laughs> well, I can't man. wait to dig in because we can go a couple layers deeper if you want to on that as well. Oh, man, I love that. All right, all right. Let's flesh that out some more. That's good yeah. stuff. So, so bring yeah. it, man. Tell me, tell me more about what's going on inside of you. What's, what's churning inside of you? What's causing this to come to the surface? Yeah. You know what, um, what I really found in the very beginning of life, right? We basically look at our perception through a lens of what we're seeing, feeling, and experiencing as kids. Mm-hmm. And, and when our thoughts start to mold and shape what our parents are doing for us, to us, or with us, a lot of times we're going to want to model that either consciously or unconsciously, or even subconsciously for that matter, when we become parents. So so just to give you a little bit of background, um, I came from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, My mother and father were divorced when I was four years old. So I didn't understand the concept of a nuclear family because they were constantly in conflict and fighting. And I thought conflict and fighting was a way of connecting with the person that you're supposed to be doing life with. So at four years old, you don't really know these things. But when we moved from Chicago to Houston, My mother, my sister, and I, who my sister is seven years older, we knew that we were going to start a new life. We just didn't know how it was going to look. So I would spend nine months down here in Houston. I would spend the other three months up in Chicago during the summer, spending time with my father. So do do we have a father figure in our life when we're, you know, if if a family is divorced? Yes. However, um, what you're going to do is as a boy, 
you're probably going to look to say, okay, what are those qualities that I like? Or what am I supposed to be doing when I become or turn into that role? So every, every year until I was 16 years old, I would go up for three months, spend it with him, come back down for nine months, go to school, spend it with my mom. Well, I was finding that my dad, um, one of the things I wanted from him was his presence and his time and his thoughts, right? I wanted him to be there a hundred percent. And, you know, he was an airline pilot. So John, if you know anything about, you know, traveling internationally, not only are you doing that once or twice, you're doing it four to five times a month. And to go one side of the world or the earth to the other and back takes a toll physically and mentally on you. And so how do you show up for your kids? Well, funny enough, what I ended up doing is I ended up going to full flight school. I went back to University of Illinois. Um, I became a pilot and I was like, that's the route I want to go because my grandfather did it. My father did it and I want to do it. And then I took a time out and said, wait a second, how are their family lives compared to their careers? Uh, And the, the relational side of me said, maybe there's something that I need to investigate a little farther, but generationally, I thought that that's what I was supposed to do because I saw that being modeled. And I realized that both of those relationships, although they've been failed in the American sense because of divorce and separation, I wanted something a little different. And when I actually dedicated my life to being a faith-based life, I started to see the career was not the most important thing in life. And I wanted a spouse and a partner and someone that I could invest time with, not spend time with. There's a big difference between an investment and a spend. And I wanted to be able to show my kids that, you know what? God comes first. My wife comes second. My kids come third or fourth. And then my career is somewhere in between. And those seasons of life will allow us to kind of juggle back and forth when we need to turn the gas on. And also when we need to turn it off and spend time with family and go on vacations and be able to pour back into them. Hopefully that helps. Oh, absolutely. You know, and uh, the phrases that come to mind when you were saying that uh, you hear people often talk about a work-life balance, which I think is complete garbage. Thank you. Because it's not possible. It's not possible to balance it all out. However, and I've got to give full credit to my good friend, Andre Young, because Andre told me about this great phrase called work-life harmony, that it is possible to be busier at work, which means you have less to give at home. But then as you were talking about, sometimes it switches the other way. And so we're still in harmony. We're never equally balanced. That never happens, but we're still in harmony with one another. So yeah. no. And if I can touch on that too, Please. you know, a lot of times when, um, I think our generations that, that came before us were taught to do the nine to five, to talk to be the employee type mentality do great at work, come home, and then unwind, de-stress, sit on the couch, sit in your chair, watch TV, ignore your wife, have dinner, go to sleep, get back up, do it all over again. And what I found was people around me who were business-like-minded and they were entrepreneurs, they, they said, look, the average successful millionaire has seven streams of income. So if you put all your eggs in one basket, what happens if that basket falls? And to me, I was like, well, you know, that's a good point. I guess we lose the basket. I guess we start over, right? Well, I didn't want to start over at 35. So what I did was we basically planted these little seeds and it was almost like a garden and we found which one sprouted. And my wife and I have a common business, which I really enjoy because we can do it any given time. We're sole business owners of it. And, you know, we can also focus on a passion that we love to do, meaning we would do it for free, even if we didn't get paid. However, we do get paid for it. So that's even better. And then we have really our careers that, you know, we've dedicated something to. So, you know, you even asked, how do you do all these things? And the answer is very simple. You work really smart and you're effective with your time management to where your work-life harmony allows you to spend time and invest time in the things that you love. And that time that's left over, you make time for everything else. And if you're doing what you love and you're getting paid for it, that's kind of the ultimate American dream. But yet, I don't know if really people understand that yet, because I've heard that, you know, this generation likes to bounce from job to job every two years. And to me, I was a career guy. I was like, look, put your 40 years and get your 401k. That's not the case these days. And I think that men, especially in their 30s, 40s and 50s, are starting to realize that the game is changing. And even traditional school for our kids have changed. You know, we're moving into homeschool, we're moving into private school, we're moving into public school, which the landscape has changed there. So how we're teaching our kids, how we're modeling and exampling for our kids is probably going to be more important than ever, knowing that everything in the world is ever so elastic and changing. Oh, for sure. You know, the school system as it's designed really came about in the industrial age. 
which was exactly what you described. You go in, you put your time, you clock in, you clock out, and you leave. Well, that's what they do at school, and they're training people to be mindless drones to do the same thing, not really setting kids up for even what's present reality, let alone what's coming in the future. Um, that is a completely separate discussion. <laughs> I, I could dig much deeper into that, but that's, that is a completely different discussion. Uh, I have the utmost respect for people who choose for whatever reason to do the homeschool route, because then you can really determine what it is that you want to do and the direction you want to head with the educational choices that you're making. And I can tell you, I've known several people who have been homeschooled over the years. And, you know, this misnomer that homeschoolers, you know, they don't socialize well, that's not true. Um, that somehow they're not as intelligent, definitely not true. And somehow they, they can't make it in careers in the future or survive in college. Again, not true at all. Uh, I think the statistics bear it out that they've by far exceed their peers just because of more of the individualized attention that they're getting. Well, you mentioned that, and I'm so glad that we see eye to eye on that because a lot of times we don't know where we stand on issues. And if we think about it, school is designed, public school, and my kids are in public school right now. Uh, we might make that transition of that change. And what they're taught is be at school at a certain time, you're going to spend X amount of time. It doesn't really matter how long it takes you to get the assignments or the work done. You are relegated to that time, and then you move to your next class, and then you move to lunch, and then you move to this. So everything is structured. What, to me, in my opinion, that's designed for a child to learn how to follow, right? And to learn how to work within a box or a construct. And so if someone who's extremely talented and gifted in a certain area, and they're making all A's and it's easy and they're never challenged, well, we have to individualize education for each one of our kids because I have three of them. One learns tremendously at a scale to where I can't even keep up with her. There's another one who needs a little bit more attention and then the other one's a jokester and, you know, he, he does average. And I think that that's great because they're all different and unique. However, if we tailor a general, you know, I guess education to each person, but they learn differently and they excel at certain things in a way, then what we're doing is we're holding them back from their potential. And I would say that I've worked with thousands of college students. When I was with Petco, um, I would literally recruit anywhere between three to 500 kids every year. But that's who I ended up working with. I would interview thousands to get to that three to 500. And you know what I found? I found that my homeschool kids, when they shook your hand, they looked you in the eye. Mm -hmm. They knew how to carry on the conversation. They knew what they were good at and they knew what they wanted to learn or needed to learn. And those were some of the most successful reps. And I got to tell you, homeschool, I didn't understand it until I got into that world. And I got to tell you, I was super impressed with the way that that was handled. So I'm glad that you said that because that, it's something I wanted to really talk about and get off my chest as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, all right. I, we talked about this earlier, but I think the folks watching and listening will really want to hear this. What in the world made you want to initially even get into bodybuilding? I mean, because that's not necessarily something that most, clearly not most people do that. And so I'd, what, what was the driver behind that? Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to say something that we didn't talk about. Okay. And I think that, when you really break things down, all of us come to this realization where we have to take a look in the mirror and say, how important is our health, not just to us, but the people around us who we support, provide, and lead. And I had to take a really hard look in the mirror and, you know, granted, you know, with your shirt on, you can look, you know, just lean or muscular, or, or you can feel good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy. You know, there's certain body types that can get away with eating fast food every day, four times a day and still look like you're a million bucks. I still don't understand it. I don't get it, right? And I'm jealous oh, me either. of them. <laughs> and I wish that was the case. However, you know, I started to feel some heart issues. I started to see some things in the mirror where I was getting sick. I was going to the doctor more often than I was being healthy. And so, um, you know, just so happened, I was, I was at a short period with a construction company that my friend owned. And, and you know, we kind of helped that get off the ground. And we had um, our evenings that we would mainly spend working. That allowed us for our mornings and afternoons to be really investing in ourselves, which I thought was a huge blessing. So a couple of friends from church were like, hey, man, let's do this bodybuilding thing. There's, you know, you can go on stage with board shorts. You don't have to go on in those little trunks or those mankinis. And you don't have to have like really built legs and, you know, do all this crazy stuff and be in the gym five hours a day. And I'm like, let's do it. I'm in, man. Who's in with me? And they're like, yeah, we're all in. So there's these five guys, right? And I say five guys because that makes me think of five guys hamburgers and now I'm starting to get hungry. So um, 
two weeks, man, we're going at it. We're after it. We're meeting, we're meeting. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody drops and we're like, oh, can't make it this morning. And all of a sudden they all, after that two weeks, nobody was left but me showing up at the gym. So I'm like, well, guys, we made the commitment. Yeah. They're like, well, my wife said this, or I I had to go to work or I, you know, I just can't do it because I have to rearrange my schedule. I'm like, totally cool. I'm going to do this for me. And so I continued on and it was a 16 to 20 week type, um, you know, challenge, so to speak. Cause once you get a challenge, if you're a guy and you have ego, you're like, if I said, I'm going to do something, by golly, I'm going to do it. And you make the commitment to see it through. And I worked so hard. I hired a nutritionist. I got a coach. I would drive 30 minutes to the gym one way, 30 minutes back. And it was during traffic. And I would spend an hour and a half with him. He said, do cardio, do this, do that. I went to look for the best in the world at what they did. Yeah. Well, that time came to where the night before the show, couldn't sleep, was so excited, made the commitment, made the investment. And I was so good. Mm-hmm. I took last place, dead last in my first competition. And I'm like, why did I work so hard? Why did this happen? And you start questioning why you quote failed. And so I had a really, I think one of those moments, if you can remember like probably three or four major life-changing moments, maybe a conversation, maybe something somebody said, went to a judge and and she, uh, she said, so how do you think you did? And I go, well, I mean, you saw how I placed. How do you think I did? You know, cause I was upset. (laughs) Right. And she goes, actually, you know what? This was your first show. You're going up against competitors who have been doing this for years. Why would you expect to walk in and be the best of the best knowing that they put in more work than you did? And I go, you don't know the work that I put in. She goes, I do. Because guess what? My husband was your trainer. (laughs) And I'm like, wait a second. I've never met you before. She's like, exactly. Because he puts in the same amount of work and he was a world champion. And there were a lot of times where I didn't see him. And I didn't see the behind the scenes stuff and didn't pull the curtain back. And you know what? Specifically, I didn't put you in first place because I knew that you had potential to be first. But I also knew that objectively, as I look at all of those bodies on the stage, you put in the work. However, it wasn't your day to day, but it can be if you choose to learn from this. And I'm like, oh, no, that was like a a gut punch, right? Or like a shot. And I'm like, you're right. You know, I hate to say it. I'm mad at you for saying it, but you're right. And I appreciate you saying it at the same time. So if you fast forward, um, I go back to my coach and I go, hey, man, you didn't tell me your wife was judging. He goes, well, I didn't want you to know. And here's why. Because in 10 weeks, you're get, you get to do another show if you want the challenge and you want the opportunity to come back and redeem yourself. And I'm like, 10 weeks? Wait a second. I put all this work and I'm hungry. I'm going to get a pizza. He goes, go get a pizza. Go have fun. Enjoy yourself. But you know what? In 10 weeks, show up in San Antonio, Texas. And you know what? We'll work 10 weeks straight and you just started. This is not your destination. You're just beginning your journey. And I said, all right, let's do it. Sure enough, 10 weeks later, I get on stage and there are a few of the same competitors on stage. That makes sense. And sure enough, in three categories, I take first, first, and first. And to me, that gave confidence to say, I showed up that day in a different way. Attitudinally, I showed up in condition. I showed up with more muscle, with more lean mass, but I also did exactly what my coach said for those next 10 weeks. And if you really want to pull the curtain back on me, I only did about 75% during the first prep and that's what held me back. But I also was putting my worth in a placing. I wasn't putting my worth in the progress. And a lot of times that progress and that journey is so much more important than who gets a trophy and who doesn't. And so that's what I learned from that day. And that to me was a huge turning point in how my bodybuilding career went. Oh, gosh, Matt. I... I'm not even sure that you heard what you said there because it just literally, I felt like I just got hit in the face with something you just said. You were finding your worth in a placement and not the progress. Isn't that what holds all of us back? You don't have to call it a placement. It can be your job. It can be a relationship. It can be whatever. You're putting your value in that rather than the progress you're making in life. I'm getting better. I'm improving. Because it isn't about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about getting better. That itty-bitty baby step, baby steps at a time. So each one feels like hardly anything, but they become cumulative. And then you really start to see the progress. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I mentioned it to my kids about trying to get better at something. You know, they want to see immediate results. Of course they do. Not that we all don't, but kids definitely do. It's like, you guys got to think about a rocket ship. Rocket ships go really fast. They do but not at first. 
There's a lot of weight to get lifted up and get it up and going. It takes a while, but once it's going, it really goes. Yep. That's kind of how life is. And it sounds like that's what your experience was. Well, that was the beginning of what we call the inertia or the momentum that kind of propelled to the next level, right? Taking a couple of years off. You know, what's humbling is you're going to have a moment in your life where you realize you think you're good enough and you realize something or someone knocks you down and maybe it's okay to say that you don't know everything or can do everything perfectly. And so as humans, we're flawed. And that's what I love about us because we can learn from every situation and everyone that we run across, no matter what their uh, place is in life, right? We don't know where their place is in our life sometimes immediately, but that instant and that delayed gratification, you know, if I fast forwarded from 2015 when I competed, I took two years off to really work on the things that people told me I needed to work on because they could give me an outsider's perspective. They could say, you know what? You need to work on this. You need to work on that. And I only really took in the information of people that I trusted and that I knew had my best interest at heart because, you know, a lot of people are going to give you this input. I, I wanted to filter out the stuff that actually was truth and what I thought, you know, I could trust them with because they had the best interest at heart. So fast forward to 2017, I ended up competing that year. I ended up turning pro with an organization. And I was humble enough and lucky enough to be able to compete in Hawaii. Uh, my first debut was the Hawaii Pro and uh, the competitors there were incredible. And, you know, even in the Oklahoma Pro, uh, literally four months later, and then we had a world championship. And I knew that, you know, in 2018, that was the time to leave everything for that year and a half on the stage and move it into more of a role where now I could provide a stage for them. So the pain for me was very simple. I needed to get better and healthier. The purpose for me was to show myself and my family that I could do something, even though I got knocked down a lot. And even though there was times where I wanted to quit, give up, and I even failed. And I wanted my kids to know to embrace failure because that's the only way to success. You're not going to be have things handed to you or given to you. I wanted to be able to earn it. And so in 2019, I started my first show, which is where um, Stormtrooper Productions came from, which surprisingly that LLC was available. And so I like, Sop that right up. And I said, okay, the first show is going to be the Storm Classic. I, I basically said, guys, what should we call this show? Texas Takeover, Storm Classic. We, we basically led it to the crowd and the crowd decided Storm Classic. Okay. So my kids now can compete in kids fitness. So I have an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 11-year-old. They get to make and choreograph a 60-second routine. And they have a bunch of kids that they compete with because we want them to start early to understand if you have meaning and you have purpose for what you're eating and how you're living an active lifestyle, show that and be the example and leader of other people. Because right now, in a time of video games, Xbox, iPads, this and that and the other, kids who are just sitting down and staring at a screen for eight to 10 hours a day, I didn't want my kids to do that. I wanted them to be the leaders in the light that people could see to say, you know what, there's something else besides that. Stay active, let's be examples and role models for other kids and let's get them involved too. I love that. I love that. I love that you're having your kids do that. You know, um, you mentioned the word purpose before, and I had what I'm about to share. I have to give credit to my friend James Laughlin. Um, he's based out of New Zealand. Uh, he's a fantastic coach. He was a seven-time world champion drummer. Uh, so this guy's literally got the chops. So, <laughs> but you know, he he told me a phrase very recently, and and I hadn't thought about it this way before, but it made a lot of sense to me. Passion is for us purpose is what we give to others. Ooh, I never that's thought good. of it there. That's, yeah, isn't that good? That's really good. Yeah. So James, full credit to you, my brother. It's so good. So yeah. And because uh, that's why, you know, you hear people all the time talking about pursuing their passion. And then when, when James is talking to people, when he's coaching them, he tells them not to. He's like, passion is for you. Nobody else needs to know about that. That's for you. You pursue purpose because purpose is what serves others. Well, you're exactly right. And by the way, I have to give you full credit for the pain, the purpose, and the platform because, you know, as, as we look to say, why is it that we behave the way that we behave or do what we do or the choices that we make? And there are times where we make quick choices because we think we know what's right. And then there's times to where we slow down, we take the proper information in, we get the right consultation, and, you know, we make the decisions of what we think is best and we might have to make a pivot. But you know, somebody once told me, they said, make decisions slowly or make decisions quickly and be, you know, be slow to adjust the goal. Because if you keep moving the goalpost, you're never going to hit it, right? It's a moving yeah. target. Right. And I, I was the one to make decisions slowly and, you know, 
make that pivot quickly because I'm like, well, it's not working and we're only, you know, 10% in and all of a sudden, you know, that's why I hired coaches because mm -hmm. coaches said, you know what, you're on the right path. You're not seeing the stuff in the mirror that you're seeing, you know, that I'm seeing because I can see it from a different lens or a different point of view. You know, when you look at uh, sports, I, I, John, I'm, I'm a big fan of sports and, you know, judges, officials, anything in sports, they're like, why did the ref not see that? Well, there's an art and a science to doing something, right? The art is, yeah, I saw it, but you know what? If I call that one, now I got to call it the rest of the game because I'm also a volleyball official. The second <laughs> thing is, well, your perspective is the best because you're on the floor. You don't have that view from the third row where you can see what's actually going on on the floor. So if you really kind of zoom out on that panorama, you've got to understand that sometimes your life, you're so involved in it, it's really tough to be able to make decisions without getting outside counsel. And if you get wise outside counsel, some of those decisions that you're able to make collaboratively with people you know, like, and trust that can speak into your life. I always found this, and, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Okay. Paul Timothy Barnabas, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody once told me you have to learn and be a student before you can actually be a master at something. And so I would always look for a mentor to say in that space, who is the best? That's who I want to spend and invest my time with. And hopefully they'll take me under their wing. And then there's guys in your life that you're going to do kind of life with. You talk to them daily. You know, you bounce things off to them that maybe, you know what, you've never really talked to a mentor because, you know, that's not really bigger picture. And then you have that person who's watching you, right? As you excel in something, there's always somebody else wanting to do how you do things or what you do. And those are the people that you get to mentor. And sometimes it takes a while to find those three suitors in your life. But, you know, when you're doing life with those three people, what you're going to find is the way that you interact and intertwine your life. Oh, my gosh. I I'll just tell you right now, you're one of those guys I know to very many. And, uh, you know, as you're teaching these people, you once were a student based on your experience that you can give to them and say, this is where I feel short and this is where you're going if that continues. And I love the fact that, you know, having those three people to speak into your life or you being able to speak into others makes life number one, a whole lot more fun, but it also makes it more rewarding when you see the growth in yourself and others and your mentor does take a little ownership and pride in that as well. So do you have that in your life? Like kind of those three people that you look at? I do actually. Um, I, I have multiples in those areas. So, uh, I have to be careful though at times because I can get spread a little thin. So th there are times I have to use a, a word that has taken me years to be okay with saying, and it's no. And I, and I, I am at the place in my life where I, where I am okay saying that. And it's not because I don't care. It's because if I don't feel like I can give what needs to be given in this particular situation, that's typically why I say no. And it, it may be for the simple reason that I'm protecting this white space in my life. Like if I add one more person in there, then I cut into that white space and I, right, I can't have that right now. So, but yes, is the answer to your question. I do have those folks in my life and I'm, and I'm grateful for all of them because here's the interesting thing. And I, I think you've probably had this happen to you as well. The person that you're helping, the person who's looking up to you to learn from you, goes back to something you said before. When I was younger, I was extremely arrogant. Oh, my my arrogance offends me now from what I was like then. I mean, it was, <laughs> oh, my gosh, it was so bad. But when I first started helping others, I mean, this has been decades ago that I've been helping people. When I first started doing that, I had the mindset that I was the one doing the teaching. Therefore, I had nothing to learn. Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't care who you meet. It could be the absolute worst person. And, and whatever that scale is for you, the worst person you can possibly think of, you can still learn something from that person. It may not, you might not learn the right way to do something. You may learn what not to do. That's still learning. Man, it took me way too long to learn that. And way too long. I, I was in my 40s before I learned. Oh, but, I, but I'm grateful that I know it now. Extremely grateful that I know it now because it, it, it was a game changer for me. When I realized I didn't have all the answers and I could get things from other people, I could learn from other people that their life experience, even their expertise could teach me something. I'd be like, wow. Because many times, I, countless times, I've been like, I didn't know that. And it's, and it's kind of mind-blowing. You're like, 
that is so cool. You know, especially things where you think you really know something about it. And then you learn like this intricate little detail. And you're like, oh, man, that completely changes everything about how I saw this. And oh, man. Yeah. And it's so matter of fact, some of the things that people can say just so flippantly without even thinking because they just they they repeat it in their lives. But the first time you hear about it, it's like this light opens up in this magic box and you're like, oh, my gosh, it clicked in. It makes sense. And I, I do want to touch on this because yeah. I'm so glad that you said the power of the word no, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It just necessarily might mean that it's not the right time. I, I look as a yes. no is a not yeah. now. And so maybe it's maybe that might fit five years down the road. But as we protect our time, if we do stretch ourselves too thin, if we can't give 100% to the areas of the things that we have our core beliefs in, mm. what ends up happening is we're compromising our integrity. And you know what? We want to say yes to everything. We want to feel included. We want to belong. We want to be um, experiential, right? We want to be able to pour into others and we also want to be poured into. And I think that, you know, Sometimes the human mind says, yes, 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 yes. All of a sudden it's stretched so thin. I mean, it's literally like a rubber band. You stretch it too thin, everything gets out of whack. So you talk about that work-life harmony. You talk about that work-life balance being kind of like what we call garbage. We'll just say that. Uh, and I'm so glad that you said that because people, I think, invest their time. If you look at the amount of hours that people spend working and investing in their careers, as opposed to the time that they spend investing in their families or their kids. What scared me was I was seeing ultra successful people being some of the most unhappy people when it came to family life. Oh, yeah. And so I got into this uh, group called Front Row Dads. Mm -hmm. and this is really where it started to come into focus for me. These are highly successful net worth individuals that blew my mind. I mean, they were on a whole nother level than I was. They were operating in life. At some of the high, if I said some of the names, you'd be like, yep, I know who that is. I know who that is. I know who that is. We did a retreat and we were around uh, 45 guys, right? And, and, and we were in, in California and we were talking about some of our biggest failures or some of our biggest faults or flaws. And I found a common thread with the people who were at the top of the food chain. They said, you know what? I just can't connect with my wife or I have a hard time connecting with my kid. And finally, somebody said this one thing that I'll never forget. They go, well, how much time are you investing with that? And how much time are you investing with your business? Because you just told us you work 100 to 120 hours a week to make seven figures a year and to be worth eight figures. And if you invested that time in your family, you'd have an eight-figure family. What do you think? Okay. And it was like that silence that hits the room. And it's like, whoa. And you got to sit with it because, you know, at first you feel that's personal. You're like, but I do it for my family. Well, if you really did it for your family, do you really think they want the eight figures or they want your time and energy and, and that presence? Oh, thank you. And we, we wrapped that around. How did you bow tie that back around when I said, you know, I wanted my dad's presence in time, not his money. I think that's where you hit it on the head. So love what you well, said there. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that Matt, uh, for a couple of reasons. First one is I made a conscious decision years ago when my kids were younger, especially after my divorce happened that by about 2.50 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I would end my day so I could be picking my kids up from school and spending some time with them before they would go back to their mom's house. Well, those are prime working slash money-making hours that I was on purpose not doing that. And so, yeah, I don't have the net worth of like some of those people that you were talking about, but I have the relationships with my kids that I wanted to have. And, you know, I wanted my kids to know that I was there for them and that, I mean, I showed up to all their stuff, man. I was at everything because when I was growing up, my dad couldn't make it to anything because he was working. I mean, he couldn't. I mean, I can kind of one hand the number of times my entire childhood into high school that my dad was able to show up to stuff. So not very many. And that's just what I wanted for my kids. It's something you were talking about earlier, it's, it reminded me of a phrase that a friend of mine, Brian Dixon, says, what's ordinary to you is magic to others. The things we take for granted, the things that's just like breathing. You know, we just do it because we do it and we're so good at it. We don't even think about it. When somebody else sees that for the first time or experiences it with us for the first time, and that's why they're blown away because it's so out there for them. It's like, how is this even possible? I didn't know this thing existed. It's that phrase is a good reminder to me to not take for granted the things that I do all the time that I think about all the time. 
which takes me back to my marriage, which is definitely something I took for granted for a long, long time. Uh, man, I'll tell you, my divorce was preventable, as most are. And that's that was part of my pain journey, was understanding that. And that's also helped lead me to part of my purpose and platform, and that is to try and help men so that I don't want to see another guy end up like me. I don't. I, I never want to see that again, let alone do I want to see these ridiculous TikTok videos of people having parties after a divorce. That just, it breaks my heart every time I see that. I am the most pro-marriage divorce guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> Can you be that? <laughs> I am. I am. I like it. It's the, the issue was never with the institution of marriage. It was us. We had the problem, not marriage. And so, you know, it's, it, it's a big thing for me to talk to a guy as real as I can without being too offensive. I realize it offends some just to say, look, man, I care about you too much not to say something. It's like you are throwing your marriage away and you don't even see it. And the reason I know he can't see it is because I didn't see it. I, I didn't have the ability. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have anybody to walk that journey with me. I had no one to walk it with. Me. So I didn't know what to do. When I knew it was ending, I didn't know what to do. And so, you know, what, one of the things that, that I hear from guys all the time that are divorced, because I, I get this a lot. It's like, how do you have such a good relationship with your ex-wife? Because I do. I have a very good relationship with her. Uh, part of it is because I did that therapy. I did that hard work of working on me and working through my issues and getting better in relationships in general. But it also is because, you know, I have learned how to forgive me. And that, Matt, was the hardest thing I had to do. By far. By far. You know, I thought I knew what forgiveness was before I got divorced. Because I had been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time. And I knew it. I, I knew what forgiveness was. But I can tell you, when you blow it big time, and to me, there's not much more bigger than blowing it in your marriage. When I realized what I did and all the people that the two of us, that our marriage breaking apart hurt, I had a really hard time forgiving me because I could forgive everybody else pretty quickly. But my role in it, because I wanted to hold on to it. That's part of the problem with not forgiving ourselves is we want to hold on to that and use that somehow as a continued excuse for having bad relationships or not engaging in relationships, which was part of my issue was not engaging. And once I figured it out, once I got to the point, I was like, you know what? God has already forgiven me. Now I have to ask him to help me forgive me. When I started to learn that, I didn't understand the width of the sacrifice that Jesus made that allows us to have forgiveness with a holy God to sinful people. I understood the depth of it, how really deep that forgiveness went. I mean, and I cried for days when I finally got that. Uh, for days I cried. Um, I actually was kind of glad there weren't kids around because it wasn't, you know, just the kind of few tears coming down. It was the nasty snot bubble of laying on the floor <laughs> prostrate kind of stuff. It was horrible, but good at the same time. So not really sure why I went that direction, but just to say that relationships are so important, so vitally important. So with that thought in mind, I want to know what is it that you're doing right now Matt, to work on your most significant relationships and what impact do those relationships have on your various businesses? That, that's a really good question. And I just want to thank you for kind of sharing that because it's really sobering to think that when we think we've got it all together and, and we hear these kinds of stories, we sometimes feel immune to it because no, nah, that's not me. It can't happen to me. And, and that's like driving that way. Car. I mean, we all, right. We all feel invincible and we're not driving with the rear view mirror or a side mirror. So you have no idea the carnage that you're leaving in the back. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, in answer to your question, John, it's, it's very simple. Every day, consider yourself having a backpack and you're going to pile these rocks in your backpack as you go along. Could be work, could be issues with kids, could be issue with spouse, could be a fight, could be a conflict, could be, oh my gosh, we got bills to pay and I just lost my job. It could be anything. Right. And, and at the end of the day, you're so weighed down with this backpack that we go to sleep with it. And then we get back up out of bed with the same backpack on and pile it on even heavier. And so when you talked about that level of forgiveness, let's take off the backpack every night. Let's take off our armor, our shield, put down our sword. And you know what? Find a way to reset 
Um, you know, somebody once told me this, they said, wake up broke, wake up single, even though you're married and you're successful, because if you're successful and you think you got it all, that's when you take your foot off the gas. If you don't feel like you're broke and somebody once said, how do you become a millionaire? <laughs> a, a multimillionaire said, well, make more than you spend. And then with what you have left over, put it in investments. And I'm like, well, that's brilliant. It's like, how can we make something embarrassingly simple? Right. And the same thing, and you even said this earlier, and I just want to touch on it because it didn't even answer your question, but I have to say it. You said, number one, um, when it comes to your relationship, once you're married, that's not it. You didn't arrive. That is not a destination. So if we tie this back in to what we said earlier, you should start dating and courting your wife even more now that you're married to hang on and grow what you've originally committed to. And guess what? It's not going to be all roses. It's not going to be perfect. You're flawed. She's flawed. Your spouse is probably just as flawed, if not more, or you might be more than them. And you got baggage that you carry around from previous relationships, from experiences. And guess what? They don't know half of it. They don't know what's in your head going through what you're thinking about, how you're going to pay the bills, how you're going to put food on the table. And you know what? They're probably thinking the same thing. However, it's the communication when that breaks down, it's game over. And how we function in our businesses as, as a couple. We go to things together and she is such a great compliment for the things that I am so bad at. And I'll tell you mm. right now, I am so horrible at certain things. I just can't do those things. However, she has things that she doesn't feel like is in her wheelhouse and she leaves those things to me. And we have an implicit understanding without having to communicate it because we've done it so often. And if we feel like we're off, we are able to talk about it. Okay, so what's on your mind? Let's talk. And I guess this is the biggest key that I found that I have been very guilty. Of. When she's speaking, number one, I try not to interrupt. Number two is I try not to take things personally. And number three is I try to act like or actually participate in the conversation by actively listening, by giving her eye contact, not by being on my phone, not by looking up at the ceiling, not thinking about what's to eat, you know, not even saying, oh, the cat's uh, showing up. Let's pet the cat. It's all about them, right? Women want to be listened to. They want to be loved. They want to be appreciated. And the second that we take our mind, and by the way, I, I let her know, I, I set my boundaries. I want to spend 45 minutes talking to you and listening to what you have to say. I try and at least give that time frame because I know after about that time, I'm checking out. Yeah. And so if I'm losing it, I have to be upfront with her and say, hey, you know what? I do want to continue this where I'm in the right frame of mind where we can continue to make progress. And I want to have the respect for you to be able to listen to you. I've got 14 texts I've got to, you know, probably, you know, get to, and I've, I've got some business and some work that I need to get done. So can we revisit this and then set another time if it's not resolved or finished? And by the way, I'm not looking to solve her problems. Mm. That's the biggest issue that most guys have is they look to fix their wife or themselves, or they look to fix the issue. And all they want to do is talk about it. All they want to do is get it off their chest. And that sometimes solves it in between. So this little button right here, I don't know if you saw it, but I just, you know, button it on up. And you know what? Those are times that we, I think, want to welcome as opposed to be afraid of. And I think most guys are afraid of communication with women because we're not good at it. We weren't taught it and we're not conditioned to continue to engage with them. So if they're not going to talk to us, they're going to talk to somebody else. I want to be the first right. person. You know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Because I would it does, really it let does, me you know, <laughs> and and let's let's not let guys off the hook here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna dig a little deeper. Um, we're, let's uh, I'm gonna talk about two different kinds of pain, and then you'll understand why I'm digging deeper. There is chronic pain, and there is acute pain. Chronic pain means I feel it; it's kind of annoying, but it's ongoing, and I never do anything about it. Hence the term chronic, ongoing. Acute pains, I really feel it; it's really intense very short amount of time. So when those kinds of things are going on in our relationships, the question is, what kind of pain do you want to continue to have? Do you want to continue to have that chronic pain where it's going to continue to be there day after day, after week, after month, after year? Or do you want to really figure out what it is that you need to do, how to communicate with your spouse in a way that she understands, digging deep, cutting out that cancer cell that's there, and it's going to hurt like a mother. It is. But then you're going to get rid of it. And then the healing begins. Then you can actually bandage the wound so it can begin to heal. So let's focus on that, about what it's going to take to become whole. Because that's really the goal, is for us 
to be in tune with our spouses. And God creates us to become one. And when we're doing everything we can possibly do to try and rip that thing apart, you know, getting it just on the edge where we're barely still hanging on, but we're still there, you know, we got to figure out ways to mend those things back together and start to see them weave and come back and to become stronger as a whole, which I think is possible. You know, it's, we make it too easy to get out of relationships, marriages, if you will. Um, it's way too easy to get out of them because to me, it's not a contract. It's a covenant. And there's a big difference between those two things. Not at all the direction I thought we would go today with this discussion, <laughs> not even close, but that's okay. That's totally fine. Um, so we talked about relationships. Let's talk about habits for just a minute. Cause that is something I ask everybody on the show. I want to know what is Matt's number one go-to habit? You know, I, this if, is you, if you can't limit it to one, give me a top three. You know, I, I'm going to tell you the way that you start your day is the way your day is going to be dictated. And I learned very early on from Hal Elrod. Uh, he's, he's a good friend. He's the author of the miracle morning. Mm -hmm. he, he was a Cutco guy. So we kind of knew each other from then. And when he was going through his cancer and, uh, things we basically, he was in Houston and, and we would, you know, take care of his kids if they needed taken care of well, or so they could be with him at the hospital. And he said this one thing, this right here is probably the best way to start a day. And I didn't understand what that meant. And he goes, start off with eight ounces of a glass of water. Make that a habit every day. Do not go to coffee. Do not go to your phone. You know, go to let's rehydrate your body because it's in a fasted state and it's in a rested state. Let's get your organs going. Let's get your brain function going. Let's hydrate your body so you can start the day off the right foot. Because so many people put their phones in their rooms and that's the first thing they grab to say, what time is it? Oh, well, I've got. 14 texts and I've got to look at this, 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 and this, all of a sudden your brain goes into panic or management as opposed to getting the day started to where you can prioritize the important things and you can get the things that are the most important and work effectively as opposed to just be busy all day and be overwhelmed. So my number one habit would be to start with eight ounces of a glass of water by the bedside, because I got to tell you, there's just something about that when it hits. And it all of a sudden allows you to come into what the day is going to bring for you and how you can actually play offense instead of defense. If I'm playing defense all day, which we've all done, it really stinks. And you're like, I can't wait till this day is over. I don't want to feel like that. I want to feel like, what can I do to make the day better? And whose life am I going to impact later? So if not now, why not then? So that's one of the things that I do is the eight ounces of a glass of water. Okay. Um, I don't ask all of my guess this question, but it, it seems appropriate. So I will ask you, what role does your faith play in your businesses? Mm. You know, one of the things that I found is being in a, uh, I don't want to say a faithless family. I would just say a broken family. We really didn't go to church. Uh, my sister, who was kind of the person that I looked up to in the family, my mom didn't go. My sister didn't go. Um, and she married someone who was Catholic and I started to go to church in college because I didn't want to have the same college experience that everybody wanted to have because I felt like there was a big hole in that. And so if we have a hole in our heart that's not being filled, we're also going to be chasing things that are looking to try and fill that. And as I went through, I said, two of the things that I needed as non-negotiable in life is a faithful partner mm -hmm. and a full of faith partner. There's a whole big difference with that. So how we do, my wife's texting me right now. She's like, okay, I'm ordering for our event tomorrow or anything you want to do. You know, we, we were able to, uh, to go to church. I don't think church is a place to where we strengthen our faith. I think it's really in community. I think church is that box that we check to say, I need to be here because this is my public profession of faith that I believe my family knows what we're about, what we want to do. We're broken and we cannot do this life without God. So. If you think you can do everything, what I have found is when you think you're the strongest of the strong, something will break you down. I promise. <laughs> and my wife and myself know that something or someone, it always happens, right? It's almost like a certainty in life. You, you can laugh if you want to, but I also want my kids to understand, look, as we do business, it's not about making the most money. Like you said earlier, it's not about profiting and being an eight figure entrepreneur. It's about let's do business right with integrity. And with people that we know align with our values and our core beliefs. And you know what? Life is a whole lot more fun. And you never know when some of that business turns into relationships. 
where you're like, I had no idea you went to that church. I have no idea you're a person of faith. And to me, I think faith is strengthened in that community. If we're on an island doing it alone, it's really hard. I keep my nose in the word because the fact is, if I know people are holding me accountable and I'm holding them accountable, we're going to grow together. And really life is about growth. And I believe that business, if you start to separate business and faith, uh, that can be very dangerous. So uh, my wife is a big proponent of, you know, keeping her small group with her women, me keeping my small group with my men. And we also are in a couples group. I don't think you can ever get enough, but it allows us to see different relationships and the way that people speak into our life. And uh, I got to tell you, it's fun doing it that way. So it has everything to do. And by the way, it has everything to do with bodybuilding. You wouldn't believe it, but man, I prayed a lot when I was in bodybuilding thinking, God, get me through this cardio. Oh my God, <laughs> please. So, you know, when I say that, I had to rely on God a lot because when I thought I was at the end of my rope, I somehow found a way to take the next step on the treadmill, or I found a way to get that last bite of food in that I needed and also put my head on the pillow and wake up the next day and do it all over again. So it has everything. It's fully integrated in life. And I believe that when people do that, life becomes a whole lot more fulfilling. You don't become happy. You become fulfilled. And when you're fulfilled, nothing can touch that. And nothing, nobody can take that away from you. For sure. For sure. You know, something we really didn't touch on very much was your podcast. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I have let's, to. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about your podcast before we wrap up. Because I think uh, folks would very much love to hear more about the podcast that you do. And of course, you know, it's related to a lot of what you do. So we met, you and I met when I was kind of doing my, are you man enough type rooms, right? We talked about masculinity. We talked about leadership. We talked about faith. We talked about all these things. And so there was an are you man enough podcast out there that I did a few episodes that I realized that it was better served to get athletes on, to talk about their journey and experience and really how they kind of came from and to where they are now. Uh, professional athletes, uh, uh, different show promoters, why they put on shows, talk about coaches and fitness and how to be your best self physically. Well, that was starting to spill over into the emotional and spiritual side as well. So, you know, if you look at the episodes, it's called the Friday Fitcast. It's on YouTube. Uh, I really wanted to be able to highlight people, to give them a platform to talk about their journey and what they went through, what made them stronger and what almost made them break and how they got through it. Because when we learn from other people's challenges, when it comes up for us, we're like, we already know how to handle that. And so you'll hear a lot of recurring themes in that. And I think a lot of times, you know, for us to be students and put our student hat on, when I podcast and, and interview someone, I love to listen intricately to what they're really saying, because you know what? Some of that stuff is so inspiring and it's so moving to me that it's like, you just affected a million people and didn't even know it. And that little ripple effect, you throw that pebble in and all of a sudden just goes all the way to shore and back. Now, you know, you're making a difference. And so that was the whole premise of the platform for Friday Fitcast is because health and fitness to me, I could talk about it all day and not get paid a dime. And I would still love doing it. Mm, I love that. I love that. Where can folks find you, Matt, if they want to connect with you, learn more about you, the things that you're doing? Uh, maybe they've been inspired by something you said. And it's like, hey, you know, maybe Matt can kind of guide me and direct me on this potential journey I have for bodybuilding. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a couple of different ways and I'll be quick with them. Uh, the first thing I do, I answer my Instagram messages on Matt Storm Official. It's M-A-T-T-S-T-O-R-M Official. Um, the next thing is Matthew Storm on Facebook, which I don't check as much because there's a lot of folks that are on there. Um, but really stormplasticshow.com. That's the website. I answer all messages on there because they come directly into my email and, uh, you know, love to uh, discover new folks, help them with their uh, mission, vision, and passion. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, that way, if you're on a journey, we want to walk with you. We don't want to walk for you. And I think I think that's the biggest news is when you're walking with somebody, you can celebrate with them and you can also experience the things that they go through. So you can learn as well. Well, I wrap up every interview I do, Matt, with a final four. They're just four quick questions. You tell me the first thing pops in your head. Are you ready? Yes. All right, here we go. Why? Oh, I thought that was a question. I thought that oh. was a question. Go ahead. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I like that. All right. So question number one, why did God create Matt? Mission. Okay. Now tell me what that mission is. Yeah. Um, I'm not here for me, I'm here for them. And so when they said, go and make disciples of all men, mm -hmm. there is something that God put me here for. And if it's just for me to consume the earth, that probably wasn't the right thing. <laughs> he wants me to spread his word because you know what? He's the one who made us. 
And I believe that the mission is you're going to influence and affect people in a positive or a negative way every day. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be through the word. It could just be the way through you act, maybe listen, maybe show up. People are always watching you and they're always listening to you. So what you say and what you do is sometimes more powerful than just talking to them. So I believe the mission in life is to influence uh, and give the word in a way to where you're living it, not just, just talking about it. Perfect. All right. Question number two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? One simple word, you. Um, I've learned so much just by talking to you right now that believe it or not, you know, I mean, when we, when we talk about social audio apps, we can get a lot of information and it's overwhelming at points, but there are certain things that stick. You've said two things to me that I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I wish I would have heard this 10 years ago. So, and I'm not saying that because I'm on your podcast right now either. I'm saying that because it, it, it hits here. You can tell some things just hit here. Other things hit here. And when they start hitting here, you know that, you know, you were meant to hear that. And so I, I just want to highlight two things for you. Number one is when you talked about the pain of you going through your divorce and what you learned from that and the power of communication, you know what? Not everything's rosy here and I need to focus on that. God just told me I needed to focus on that. Number two is when you said pain, purpose, and platform. Those are the two things that I recommended, uh, you know, to store in here and also the store in here, because when we brought that up earlier, it just really hit home for me. So I'm listening to people like you. Uh, I'm also getting a chance to hopefully create a platform where, you know, we can slowly listen to people who may be in the fitness and bodybuilding and health space, general health and wellness that we're able to pull and extract from. So social audio right now for me is a great consumer. Great. Great. Uh, question three, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Well, since I played volleyball in college, um, I play and, uh, you know, being almost 50 years old now, uh, it is a little harder to play with 20 year olds. And so we try and limit that to like 30 to 45 minutes at best in the hot sundown here, because <laughs> every time I go play, I, I end up in the chiropractor's office or I end up with ice on my knees, which and shoulders, which I've done every week. Um, so that's kind of an addiction. So volleyball is one. Yeah. And uh, I have to say that I'm getting back into flying. Uh, we have a neighbor who uh, has a plane that needs to be flown. So we're just going to help them out and uh, we're going to go get everything up to date and current so right. we can go uh, fly the friendly skies, so to speak. So really to have that freedom to be able to move around the country and to be able to really enjoy what we do. Flying is very peaceful and it's also very fulfilling, but volleyball is as well. So those are the two things. Okay. Okay. Um, what brings you joy? What brings joy? This is going to be that question that I think is a canned answer, but I think that um, this is going to sound crazy. We all have a, a personal and sentimental attachment to our kids, mm -hmm. but to connect and see them smile makes all the difference in the world for me to say, you're doing it right, dad. <laughs> and when, when I hear the word dad, that just brings me so much joy because we brought human beings into, into this life to where very easily they can get distracted and they're learning things daily. Hopefully at the end of whenever that is, they can say, my dad was blank and hopefully they fill in a good word. So my kids and my family bring me so much joy and I don't even think they really know how much because I'm afraid to tell them so much because it just sounds so sappy, but I will say that it's, it's by far hands down our kids and my wife. Okay. Well, let me offer this encouragement to you. Tell them, tell them if you think you've said it too much. Increase it by a factor of 10. So 10 exit? Absolutely. Not, I mean, 100 if you can, but start with 10x because you can't say it enough. You cannot. It's not possible because I promise you that is just going to feed their souls tremendously. I mean, it'll so be you better too. They can't hear it enough either. So I think you're exactly right. Oh, for that, sure. Uh, that, for that's sure. number three that you just gave me. I was saying 10x <laughs> telling them. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. Right. That's right. <laughs> And I, I got a bonus question here at the end that sometimes I ask, sometimes I don't. What's either the last book you read or one that you recommend often? Hmm, that'd be good. I'm going to say Victim to Victor, Nick Santanastasa. Okay. If you know his story, Nick Santanastasa was born with one arm, no legs, um, and also um, partial on his left. And so we did a, a charity event and he showed up and spoke there. And uh, I have to say, I followed his journey ever since. But when he wrote his book, you want to talk about the epitome of saying can't, that doesn't exist in his vocabulary. Mm -hmm. It's can do. This is a gentleman who can drive. He has one finger, one arm, 
I has 24 hour care. The doctor said he wouldn't live past whenever. Um, and he would need 24 hour care and he has found a way to live better lives than probably 99% of people on this earth. And to me, if he can, well, we, we got all the assets and resources in the world. Why can't we? And so it's a really inspiring book, victim to victor. If you, uh, ever get a chance to look Nick, some kind of stuff. So that guy is incredible. And he now, um, you know, frequents Tony Robbins stages, uh, mm -hmm. at large events. And, uh, he's just incredible. So he's a Las Vegas guy and I love connecting with him when we connect. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. I really appreciate that. Appreciate you digging deep, uh, very much below the surface on a lot of things and really kind of fleshing out some stuff for us, gave us much more insight into you and who you are and what's important to you. Because I think the more that we're able to do that with one another, the more we're able to have that true kind of influence that makes a meaningful difference. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, John. And I appreciate the time and, and the honor of trust me is all mine. So thank you so much for the time. And thank you to all of you for tuning in today. You have invested your most precious resource and that's your time. I know it's not renewable and I highly value that. So thank you so much for that. And you guys have a great day. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.